Nope. Arthur Anderson is still. That's right, it's don't know. It's a good thing to know Jesus, isn't it? Amen. One of the greatest privileges in the world. We fail to realize it, I think, when we walk into the house of the Lord. What a privilege it is to still do that. I think of all the good things that God has in store for us, and as Brother Lee was testifying, we only get glimpses of a door kind of ajar a little bit when we peep into it. It tells us pretty much about what the kingdom of God on this earth, the thousand-year reign of peace, will be like with bits and pieces here and there. But I was noticing that it doesn't say too much about the eighth and eternal day. There's very little said about that. I suppose that's because there's no way we could even come close to comprehending the fact that we would be able to see God as he is, be able to look on him, and of course in doing the thousand-year reign of peace, he will be veiled again in, in human flesh in the form of Jesus. But it talks about a time when he's not going to be, and there's about one scripture, I think, in Revelations that kind of gives you some idea what it's going to be like after he closes the kingdom age and delivers up, Jesus does, delivers up the kingdom unto God the Father, where he will be all in all. In other words, there will be no need for human flesh anymore. All that's going to be saved and are immortal will be saved and immortal, and they can look upon the Shekinah glory of God and still live. It talks about having no need for the sun because the glory of God, and you know, you just can't even comprehend how powerful that is that the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And his shining and his power would be so great that it would lighten the whole earth. And, uh, you know, you can see these big lights that light up a whole lot, but there's no way it can even light up a whole town. And yet here is Almighty God who has dealt with his rebellious children and loved them and forgave them and all of that and brought them through the millennial reign with him and, and uh, brought them through the things of sin if they entered in in sin, which is a mortal body, and also his children who had gained immortality was still not able to look on him uh, because he had to be veiled because of those that entered in, which was still sinners, and it would slay all of them. But to imagine the time comes when there's no need for anybody to veil God. No need for us to veil him. God is veiled in us now. No need for us to veil him because he's going to be all in all. And that means forever and forever and forever will we live with Jesus Christ who is God the Father. And I was trying to find that scripture where you might look at it a little bit. 
and uh, maybe glean some things out of that, which talks about uh, after the doom of Satan and uh, so on, and it talks about the new heaven and the new earth and uh, uh, new things in there, and then the new paradise and the river of life and the new temple and the new light, and then, it, of course, it ends there in a little bit with the last message of the Bible, which was the eighth verse of the 22nd chapter, and talks about who is going to be lost and talks about his coming. But of all things that we can see, it's just a few scriptures, perhaps in the 21st chapter of Revelations, that talks about the eighth and eternal day with God, no ending. Turn with me to St. John, the 19th chapter and the 30th verse. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, you spirits out there. I didn't come, but I sent my spirit. <laughs> See, spirits don't say anything. Only through human instrumentality. So that don't work. If you can't come and bring your spirit through human instrumentality, don't send your spirit. <laughs> it's not going to do one bit of good for me, for you, or for anybody else. Because it can't say anything. Alright? So I know there's some that can't be here, but I happen to know of one or two that has went other places and has gotten some help to go other places, and it was worse then than it is now. <laughs> Let's just make you mad right off the start, okay? <laughs> so you see, don't pull that stuff on me. You can't fool me. How in the world are you going to fool God? Fool God? Amen. St. John 19 and 30. The greatest words ever spoken on earth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Father, again, we're privileged to stand behind your sacred desk. We realize it is our calling. And we realize also that if we stand behind here without your word and without your anointing, nothing will come forth that's of any value. So, Father, we ask, first of all, that you would lift your divine word from the pages of this book. Let it become a reality to us and bring it from 2,000 years ago almost to this present day that we live in the light upon the hearts of we few that are here to First Apostolic Church in New Haven, Illinois. Father, give us 
a desire to hear the word of God. Father, give us the anointing to present it as you would like it to be presented and give your people ears to hear, heart to receive, and the ability to ingest and digest your divine word. It is essential for us, especially in these last days, and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's go over it again. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, notice before then he had not received anything. But when they offered his offered him the vinegar, he received it. That's another message. I won't go into that. He said, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. In the Greek language, it is finished is only one word. That word is telestia. T-E-L-E-T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I. And it can be translated, It is finished. It is accomplished, or it is completed. So when Jesus cried those words, he was saying, I have completed every detail of redemption. Somebody was mentioning about how Moses was told every detail and it would have been no good had he not followed every detail of it. Also in building the temple, every detail was laid out of that. And it was so with Jesus, every detail of redemption was laid out to him. His life, his death, his resurrection, but he is saying at this one time every detail that God needed for his justice to be served, I have completed in every detail. There was not one thing left out that God asked me to do. I have accomplished that, he is saying, for which I came into the world. In other words, he's saying, for this purpose came I into the world. I have fulfilled every jot, every tittle of the law and of the prophets. Notice that he has fulfilled it. He has not done away a with it. He has fulfilled that law that talks about the ceremonial practices of bulls and goats and bloods. Jesus said that jot and tittle of that law I have fulfilled. I have satisfied the redemption or righteousness. I have satisfied the holiness and the purity of Almighty God. Everything he asked for which was blood without taint of sin, life without taint of sin, satisfied the righteousness of God, satisfied the holiness of God, and satisfied the purity of God, and therefore 
because I have satisfied all of those, I have finished redemption's plan. Humanity now can be safe. Hallelujah. I feel the power of God. Humanity now can be safe. Aren't you glad that you were included in that? And he drew you by the cross. And now you can say, I am saved by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. The only one that could have finished this work that had to be finished if God was to be just and yet justify the ungodly. Jesus came into this world on a single mission to do the will of God. Christ has brought us through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ into his spiritual kingdom for one reason. That is to do the will of God. Many of us have failed to realize that because we follow too often our own selfish will or the will of man. But once we have came into the kingdom of God by his death, burial, and resurrection, then he has chosen us out of the multitudes to do his will. Jesus came to pay the sin debt. He came to make atonement for the soul, and he came to feel as we feel. We went over that time and time again. God Almighty needed to know how fallen mankind felt. He needed to know even how we feel after we receive his divinity in our life. But out of all that ever lived, only Jesus could completely satisfy the heart of Almighty God. Only He had the potential. God must have looked everywhere, and the Bible says someplace, that God looked to find and there was no man. As great a man as ever lived, there's nobody that could fully satisfy that. And therefore God chose to come down and walk among men. And as he walked, he fulfilled every wish of that which indwelt him. He met every requirement that God required of him. He did all things that God asked him to do always under all circumstances that pleased God. I realize we cannot fulfill sin in an individual's life, but it is our duty, our obligation, our job to fulfill what God has asked of us, every wish that he has in our life. All of our wishes should be second nature to God's. We should meet every requirement as a child of God and as Christian. There should be nothing else that would replace the requirements of God. When God requires us of something or something of us, that ought to be first place. Anything else would be second. 
He did all things according to the direction of that which lived in him. Even so we should do all things under the direction of the Holy Ghost that lives inside of us always. And under all circumstances is the only way we can please God. Aren't we a privileged people that God says, I'd like for you to please me. And it doesn't take a lot to please God, you know that? Just put Him first and He will be so glad of who you are. And that's what He's waiting for. Individuals and congregations to decide God is first of all of everything in my life. I will do what's required of me to make a living. I will do what's required of me to do this or that or something else. But when pleasures or anything else demands of me, God is first. If we're going to please Him. That's not going to keep Him from loving us, but it is going to keep us from pleasing Him. And He wants us to please Him more than anything else in this world. He has given His life for us. He's loved us that much. And He's accomplished this thing. And He says, it's over. It's finished. I have paid your price for you. You don't have to pay it. I died for you. You don't have to die. All you got to do is live for me. Hallelujah. When He came to the end of His earthly ministry... He could say, it is finished. It's over. Short as it was, 33 years and a half. From babyhood when they walked in, and the shepherds saw the light and knew who it was, and the church of that day didn't recognize him. Simeon and Anna saw him as a child and knew who he was immediately from his childhood on up until finally the time when he was taken by cruel hands and mocked and laughed at and scoffed at and crucified. Finally he says, All I came into this world for has been accomplished. Redemption of mankind has been achieved. Glory! <laughs> Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. They were the greatest words because it made known the greatest announcement ever proclaimed on earth. People say, well, wasn't the birth of Jesus the greatest announcement? That was quite an announcement. That was quite something, but no. Because his birth, his life, his example, his miracles performed that he did could never have veiled in the least where redemption was concerned. You see the progress of God. The progress of a human life. God dwelling in humanity. The progress of it all. If Jesus 
had not been lifted up from the earth, there would have been no redemption. It was important that Jesus go to the cross. Satan tried to kill him many other different ways. And if he could have done that, the achievement at the cross would have been of no value. If he would have died with the floggings, if they would have pushed him over the cliff that they wanted to, or if he had died any other way than on Calvary's cross, where he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He had to be lifted up on the cross. Where we still see him as a figure there shedding his life blood for us that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And he said, it's going to be like that. And if I be lifted up, the divine cross, the cross of Christ was a divine imperative. No cross, no salvation. And that was one of the most cruelest death ever devised by a human mind. God could not have acquitted the wicked, which was us, unless a sinless substitute was given. And Jesus, this God-man, was the only one who could make that substitution. Moses, as great as he was, couldn't do it. Elijah couldn't do it. Even John the Baptist couldn't do it. No one else was able to do it. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood there is no remission. You see, the crimson thread runs from the Garden of Eden plumb through Revelations. It will interlink Genesis and interlink it all until it comes to the final fulfillment of it all when Jesus delivers up the kingdom even to God the Father from Genesis to Revelations, it has been accomplished. And what Jesus starts in us, glory, He is able to bring it all to fruition if we will allow it to be done. Hallelujah. The blood of animals from Eden to Calvary always pointed to the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. Even the Lamb had to be without spot and without blemish. Pointing them to the sacrificed Lamb of Calvary. Also, all forgiveness, since Calvary is based on the finished work of Jesus. If it had not finished His work, salvation would never have been a reality, for without His blood there is no cleansing and no forgiveness of sins. And He was working hard that day. Oh, yes, He was. He worked hard in Gethsemane. 
when he knew what he's going to have to do in flesh was bucking up against him. He was working hard. And he worked hard when they tied him to that flogging post and they whipped him within an inch of his life. He was working hard for us. There was healing for our bodies. Hallelujah. There was healing for our bodies as he worked hard that day to achieve it. And he worked hard that day when they ridiculed him, kept him up all night, finally put that cross on his shoulder in his weakened condition, paraded him down to the streets of Via Della Rosa until finally, as hard as he could work for us, he fell under the load. And finally, the final analysis of everything that he had worked for, that he had lived for, came crashing down upon him as they nailed him to that old rugged cross. It wasn't a smooth thing. It was only a tree. A rough old tree not even having the bark shaved off of it. So when he raised up and down to try to breathe, his back was rubbed and scrubbed even after they had beaten him. He was working for us. Oh God, forgive us. Oh God, help us tonight. He was working out salvation for us. And then they crucified him. And there he hanged. Working, working, working. It should have been me. It should have been you when he was working. And finally, it came close to the time when he was going to give up the ghost. You know the first words he uttered? Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And then he died. It is finished. Greatest words ever spoken because of the scope of their far-reaching effects. How far did the work of Calvary's cross and Jesus Christ, how far has it reached? It's reached to the four corners of the entire universe in some form or fashion. It has reached our lives. They concern the greatest number of people ever affected by the, any other announcement. They reach every mortal since Adam. He didn't just die for those then. He didn't just die for us now. He died for the sins of the world past them because they were looking forward to Him. And we're looking backwards to Him. He works it all out for every one of us. Thank God for Jesus. Hallelujah. Everyone born between the present time and the consummation of all things 
through the centuries. Announcements, proclamations have been made which has affected many people, but never has there been an announcement that touches every per per person from the beginning of time to the end of ages. Ringing down to the halls of eternity comes the voice of the Master that says it's finished. I paid the price. What an announcement. From the other side of Calvary, men of faith look forward to the Lamb that hung on the tree, one whose blood was shed for the remission of sins. Now from this side of Calvary, believers look back to the blood of the Lamb without spot and blemish. He that laid down His life for us that we might have life. Calvary is the center of God's eternal program. Turn in the Bible. Find God's eternal program. And you'll find the answer to every cry that was made down from the prophets until Jesus turned there also from the center pages. And you'll find everybody looking back to that same place to the final analysis of it all. A central focal point of it all. Without the finished work of Jesus, not one soul could ever be justified freely from all sin. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your life. And there was no way we could stand before God without condemnation. Number four, it is finished are the greatest words ever spoken because they are announcing the greatest victory ever won. Talk about the victory of World War I, World War II, uh, even the coming World War. This was the greatest victory that has ever been, ever been accomplished. And it was accomplished by one man that millions of souls might be saved. Let's don't forget Calvary. From the time Lucifer waged war against God and was thrown out of heaven, he sought to stop God's great plan. Satan was there and witnessed a miracle of the creation of man. He sought to destroy God's purpose in that creation. And passed upon the whole human race. But because of that, God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It was at that time Satan declared war against the seed of the woman and set about to frustrate God's eternal purpose. 
Note, Satan's first move was in Genesis 4 when he worked on Cain to kill Abel. You see, he thought Abel was the seed. Mm -hmm. Or the lineage from which the seed was going to come. And so he entered into Cain and had Cain to kill that seed. You see, he's so smart, he's dumb. He's smarter than we are, but he's so smart as far as God's plan is concerned. He's so smart that he's dumb. But his efforts were to no avail. Bible says, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, she said, has anointed me, appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Now Eve thought that Seth was that seed. Now his next attempt was in Genesis chapter 6 when he caused the daughters of men to marry the sons of God. And the world becomes so corrupt, God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Again, Satan's plan failed. You know why? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God always has somebody. Yes, He does. Look at the world, how it's going. What difference does that make? God always has somebody. And right now, He's got us, thank God. And we ought to realize that and say, God, help us to be what You want us to be. We have You inside. We have Your favor. We belong to You. And even though the world might go to hell, so to speak, the majority, God has always had a remnant of individuals and people. And it disturbs us when we look around and see empty seats. And it don't disturb me, for I know that God has chosen a remnant by whom He can reach the world. I feel so secure in the fact that I can be a part of that. Hallelujah. Time and time again, Satan attempted to corrupt and destroy the promised seed. Time and time again he failed. But he is not like some of us. He don't give up. See, when he lands a crushing blow on you and you get up, you think, I've won the battle. Well, he's right there ready to slap you down again. He don't give up. Even when he knows he can't destroy you, He'll do everything in the world He can to make your life miserable. And the only way we can escape that is by our faith in God. To rear back our shoulders. Raise our head up. Say, do your best, devil. I know whose I am. I know who I belong to. I know. 
There was just one little baby boy, Moses. You see, there had been an edict pushed out that every male of the Israelites would be destroyed. Oh, the providence of God and the love of a mama, hallelujah, just finally kept him as long as she could, put him that little bark, launched him out on those waters and said, God, he's in your hands. I think she followed him along, but then God took over. He just dropped that little bark and that little crib, and he guided it over to that place where Pharaoh's daughter was at. Happenstance, not sir, God's way. Amen. She picks him up. She loves him. And then his sister says, I know somebody that can nurse him. Hallelujah. What was this for? It was to let Moses know his heritage. Somebody said, well, you know, they just nurse them so, so long. Well, I don't know about the Egyptian uh, ways, but in the Israelitish ways, sometimes they'd nurse them for three or four years. But even at that, Egyptians always had a maid or a caretaker. And while he was growing up, one of the greatest men under favor there was, the Bible declares he knew his heritage. Because he said he saw when one of his own was being beaten by an Egyptian, he took up for him. Who let him know who that was? It was his mama. Hallelujah. Oh, mama, you've got a great job in showing your people and your children who God really is and introduce into their lives their nurture of God. God preserved him through whom the seed would come. And through this child, the lineage continued until finally the promised seed, Jesus, came into the world. The devil says, this is it. I heard them say, I was there when Simeon and when Anna looked and said, this is him. I was there. I know who he is. There's no guesswork in this one. Now then, I'm going to get him. Hallelujah. Herod tried to destroy him. On another occasion, while teaching in the synagogue, the people become so enraged, as I mentioned before, they tried to throw him off the brow of the hill. But the Bible says, but he passing through the midst of them with his way. Wasn't time yet. They will do what you want to. But God Almighty lives inside here. How could he just walk through them? <laughs> I personally believe that the devil tried his best to kill Jesus. 
before he could reach the cross with his eternal sacrifice. He could have died on the merciless floggings inflicted just before the crucifixion. Anybody else, I imagine, would have. Because they didn't pay any attention to the Roman law, which said 49 stripes save one, 50 stripes save one. This was the Roman law, which allowed them to be beaten till they were almost dead, and most of them died a few hours after that beating. And if that wasn't enough, he could have died under the weight of the cross. And for sure, Satan tried his best to kill him when he reached Calvary, so that he could not be lifted up and draw all men unto him. However, hell could not prevail against a divine plan and program of God. It could not then, and it cannot now. You think God won't have a church? Yes, He will. He has one now. He'll have one then. And He'll have a bride out of that church. It doesn't depend on us so much. We depend on it. Jesus marched up to Calvary. And there he paid the supreme penalty for sin, which was foreordained from the foundation of the world. God saw the failure of Adam, the first man Adam, but the last man Adam, which was Jesus Christ, which had the same untinted blood that Adam had before he fell. God was his father. Amen. Who do you think Adam's father was? He made him from the dust of the earth and he breathed the breath of life into him. Where did Adam, number one, get his blood? From Almighty God, the bloodline from him. Where did Jesus get his? From Almighty God, from the bloodline of him, which was perfect and sinless and a divine sacrifice could be made by it. Oh, hallelujah. I'm enjoying this. Amen. Amen. I like this. Praise the Lord because it's not talking about me. And it's not talking about you. But it's talking about the Savior of the world. And what He's done for us. When Jesus finally said, It is finished. The greatest battle of all ages was won. On the cross, two eternities met. Jesus reached out with one hand and took all the sins from Adam down through the ages to Calvary. Hallelujah. And with the other hand, he reached to the end of the ages, took all future sins of mankind, 
and he nailed them to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is no longer the S-I-N question, it's the S-O-N question. Hallelujah. What think you of Christ? The way we answer that question is going to depend where we spend eternity. Because in the final analysis, salvation depends on believing in and receiving the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is finished are the greatest words ever spoken. Because they were spoken by the greatest one that ever lived. They made the greatest announcement ever proclaimed. The announcement affected more people than any other before or even since. And those words declared the greatest victory that's ever won. I say, with the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And then the Bible says, trying to close, He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. I want you to notice the uniqueness of Jesus. He bowed His head. That suggests that until the moment he died, he held his head erect. Those loving eyes, piercing and looking to the souls of humanity, desiring not to condemn them. This to his hours of parallel suffering on the cross, his first words he said before Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even more unusual in the meaning of the Greek word used here, it does not suggest that the head of Jesus fell forward, but rather he calmly and reverently bowed his head. No man taketh my life from me. You couldn't do it. Sin, evil, the best of Roman powers could do. He said, you can't take my life. I have to give it. Amen. Amen. Oh, glory. I have to give it. And so, after looking into those eyes, forgave them of it all, bowed his head in willingness to his death, and dismissed his spirit. And that lifeless body hang on the cross until they came and took him and put him in the grave. And there he laid still until the final analysis of it all. That great spirit that had walked into that temple 
and rent that veil in twain. Then finally, presented the sacred blood, God's blood, untainted blood, unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the eternal God. And God says, that's good enough for the sins of all mankind. It's enough. It justifies. It satisfies. It saves. Hallelujah. And then, he came back picked up that lifeless body and walked out of the grave triumphant over death and hell. The story goes on a little further than that. But you see, no dying mortal had or has ever displayed such superb composure as this. Where he in the agony of it all was willing to do everything he was supposed to do until the very last. The only, only thing that we can ever, and we misconstrue that, when he says, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he wanted us to know as human flesh, there would be times when we would feel forsaken, but we would never be, because he said he would never leave us and never forsake us. It is finished. It's been done. Salvation has come to all. And now, in closing, there awaits the fulfillment of another announcement which would be as great or maybe greater than that. When a voice comes, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. What an announcement that will be. Hallelujah. And then earth loses its gravitational force Hallelujah. And as he comes down, all the ransomed and redeemed of all ages and of knowing him shall be loosed from the gravity that has helped us to this whole earth. And we go to meet him. Hallelujah. And then, and then, and then it's not over. We see him. All that's dead, died in Christ, rises. If we're here, we rise together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we'll come back with him. He'll set up his kingdom. And we'll be a ruling force in the kingdom of a living God. And finally, that will be over. And we've made the march from Genesis to Revelation. And forever will we be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory.